Me, and welcome to the Obscure Stories Podcast. I'm Jerry, and today we know... We've only just begun. We all complain about the things we learned in school and wonder how finding X will help me for the rest of my life. I really don't want to spend the rest of my life finding my ex. It really is not that special anyways. But, real talk though, when have you used simultaneous equations or eigenvalues in your life? Like, really, when? Not all that we learned in school makes sense, but some of it, well, your life depends on them. And, and some of the equations you had to master really do make your life what it is right now. Or maybe you didn't know that music, flowers, your email, all those things depend on one or more mathematical equations that you had to master at one point in your life. And if you didn't have to, thank God that your life is good. <laughs> in this episode, we find out exactly which of these equations control your life. Well, not really control, but make your life better. And which, guys, you should be thanking God in your prayers every single day because you're comfortable and the life discoveries have really allowed you to have the comfortable life that you have today. First up is the Fourier Transform. Throughout this podcast, we have encountered a lot of French guys who have made life-changing discoveries and the Fourier Transform is no different. It was discovered by a French dude and damn these French people, they're so smart. His name was Jean-Baptiste Fourier. Imagine this dude was so smart that Napoleon Bonaparte, yes, Napoleon himself, had him named his personal scientific advisor and he made him a prefect over an entire nation. Talk about goody two-shoes, right? <laughs> in 1892, Fourier published a work on heat flow. In this paper, he made three major contributions. One was purely mathematical. Fourier claimed that in any math function of a variable, whether continuous or discontinuous, can be expanded in a series of signs of multiples of that value, of that variable. So that means it's, if the function is continuous, meaning it's a series of ups and downs, you know, it's like a sinusoid going like in mountains and valleys, or it's discontinuous, meaning it has a break at some point in the, in the graph, then you can take that function and turn it into a sine function in, and then that into a sine function, and then those sine functions are multiples of that variable. That's what that means, for those who don't understand. Though not entirely correct, this observation that some discontinuous functions are the sum of a series was a breakthrough. It led to our first equation of life called the Fourier transform. This is the equation that provides music that we stream on a daily basis. Yes, the equation that started with heat flow is the reason why you can use Spotify today. It's the reason why Shazam works. It is responsible for the compressed images we see on the internet. It is responsible for your Instagram, even your Beats by Dr. Dre or your Urban Jungle headphones for the more hipster inclined who have to buy their earphones from Urban Art Features, I being one of them. Oh, this noise cancelling capabilities of these headphones to this equation. Even Homer's, <coughs> Homer's uh, beautiful head, 
you know, Homer's beautiful face, Homer from The Simpsons, owes his face to this equation. And believe it or not, it's what Watson and Crick used to decode the double helix structure of the DNA. Heck, even Siri works because of this equation. I mean, I gotta say, it's pretty dope. How does it work? Well, I will tell you how it works. Imagine you're striking three keys, that is a chord on a piano. From high school physics, we know that sound is a waveform, right? So the resulting sound of, your, of you striking the three keys is a messy sound wave. And hidden in this sound wave is a simple pattern. Key one will have wave one, key two will have wave two, and key three will have another different wave wave three. Together they make up this rich sound of a chord. Fourier's insight was that this isn't a special property of musical chords, but it applies generally to any kind of repeating wave, be it a square wave, a round wave, a squiggly wave, a triangular wave, whatever. All these chords are made up of simpler waves that make up the resulting wave that is complex and can even have the shape of a triangle. Yes, waves can have the shape of a triangle. I would give you an example, but I forget. The Fourier transform works by splitting any wave you give it into sine waves that form it. Is that too complicated? I mean, I'm hoping I'm making sense here. But I did, like, take precaution. So I have a really cool animation. I mean, it's really cool by a guy called Lucas VB. And what it does, it shows you exactly what I mean. It's taking a wave. It's putting, it's putting that through the Fourier transform. And if you know any function, any functions, its definition is that you give it something and it, it spits you something else outside. So the Fourier transform works by you give it a complex wave and it splits and it splits out the simpler waves that make up your complex wave. And I have that animation on www.obscurestories.com and you can check that out to understand exactly what I mean if I'm not making sense. Fourier Transform also tells us how much each note contributes to a song. This helps in keeping only the essential sounds, what, the ones that we can actually hear. So if you're, when you're compressing a song into an MP3, if you imagine like... You know, for anyone who knows, singers don't record their songs in MP3. They they do it in something that's much, much more richer in terms of sound. And people who've been working with sound for a long time then can tell that MP3 is really crappy sound. So there's this other type of sound. I think it may be a dot wav that the that the singers would record their song in. And then what the people do in order to make that accessible for, to me and you who don't really care about the... Well, we do care, but then we aren't experts enough to pick up that MP3 is really not good sound. What they do is that they put, thread, they put that through a, 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 a thing that has a Fourier transform working inside it. And that thing is what will compress that dot wav possibly a song into an mp3 song that you can now put on your phone it's probably not 30 mbs which is what an original song an original 33 minute song would probably be like 30 mb but your mp3 is just maybe four point something mbs and by mbs i mean megabytes if you don't know what that is then you can google um it's basically how we store our digital information it's the the what we use to measure that so also, this is how help, 
this is how Shazam works. If you've ever wondered, how the hell does Shazam pick out this specific song is the one that I'm listening to and give it to me. So what Shazam did, what the guy from Shazam did, was that he put a database of fingerprint notes. So these notes that um, he collected or he collects every time maybe there's a new song out, then he puts like... Um, a fingerprint of it, there's something that uniquely identifies every song. But there are some songs that can be mistook for one another, but there's something that would possibly identify every song you hear. So Shazam has a database that has all these fingerprint notes in it, and then when you ask, when you run Shazam and ask it to tell you exactly what song you're listening to, then what it does is that it compares a, a simple wave from your um, from what you're listening to to another simple wave in its database and then it tells you exactly what you're listening to which is really cool that is a very cool Sanchez are also doing a lot of cool stuff um, like identifying the ingredients of very very distant galaxies to uncover their protein structures they're trying to predict earthquakes and stuff and all this is the legacy of quite a little mathematical trick I mean, that is mind-blowing. works hand in hand with another equation called Shannon's entropy, which is our second life equation. Entropy is simply the amount of information content contained in a message. Entropy is measured in bits and is the prevalent theme in all of information science. Claude E. Shannon, also known as the father of information theory, discovered Shannon's entropy. He is credited with having founded information theory with a paper that he published way, way back in 1948. He is also well known for founding the digital circuit by proving the Boolean algebra could construct any logical numerical relationship. Shannon's entropy works by giving the symbol in a particular message a number related to the occurrence frequency. So this equation gives you the average number of bits per symbol to encode the string optimally. So we, we're trying to encode the word look and we're trying to encode it optimally. So what we'll, what Shannon and Shannon's entropy will do, it will take a look at your sequence of information. So the, in this case, we're using look as an example. And it will give you the average number of bits that you will need to encode that word, the word look, optimally. So you can apply the equation in one of two ways. The first way is the symbol set. That is the set of symbols in your string, which is in... In the word look, your set of symbols are uh, is L, double, uh, O, not double O, but O and K. So you, this uh, set of symbols are given a frequency, not necessarily corresponding to the frequency in the message string. Remember, you can code, you can use you can use Shannon's entropy equation two ways. So the second way is that you can calculate the symbol frequency for a particular message. So that is 
you're using known frequency in the first case, and the second one, you're calculating your frequency. Shannon's entropy equation tells us how much we can compress a thing because there's a limit. There's a limit to how much information you can have. And that limit is known as entropy limit. It's basically the science behind the actual compression of MP3 files and zip files. This equation provides a way to estimate the minimum number of bits needed to encode a string of symbols based on the frequency of the symbol. Do you get what I mean? I mean it tells you what is the minimum number of uh, storage that you will need to store a string based on how many times that string occurs in your essay. Yes, Shannon's entropy works together with the RSA algorithm to help send information back and forth. So here, I'm basically telling you what the RSA algorithm is. So imagine you, there's you and there's your friend Bob. Bob and you, well, you share a deep, deep, dark secret that you'd rather have no one knowing. So Bob wants to send you a message that has some crucial information about your, mutu your mutual secret. So you and Bob meet once in a while, every once in a while. The last time you met, you had given him a public key. He uses that public key to encrypt. He sort of masks the message that he wants to send you and sends his message in a jumbled Wait, you, in turn, have another key called the private key. You are the only one in the world who has this key. Eh? If you're special, you should think about the fact that you do actually have a private key, whether or not you believe it. It's a reason why people cannot read your email, so you are special, and you are very, very special, and you should think about that. You use this private key to sort of decrypt, which is to unmask the secret message. So think about this, Bobby... Not Bobby, but Bob, who prefers to be called Bob. Well, he has a very nosy friend called Susie. Susie steals the public key that you gave Bob because she's just who, that's just who she is. And the question is, will she be able to get the juicy, juicy information that Bob sent you? No. Like essentially, Susie needs to know two things to get this message. Um, she needs to know your private key and she needs to know the public key. Well, now she has the public key. So the first thing that she might need to do, well, she will need to do to get the information is to seduce you till you give her the private key. But we're hoping this won't happen unless you have a thing for her, in which case, good luck. The second thing that Susie needs to do is to figure out prime factorization of large numbers so that she can work backwards using the RSA equation, which is available to anyone in the world, to get your private key. And if no supercomputer can do prime factorization, I bet you that Susie can't either because she's, she can't. She'd have to be a quantum computer to do that, and she's not. She's a nosy person. So that, my friend, is a very layman way of explaining the RSA algorithm. The RSA algorithm was developed by three guys, Rivas, Shamir, and Adelman, way, way back in 1977. So that's where the word RSA comes from, Rivas, Shamir, and Adelman, so RSA. This is the algorithm that makes the internet safe. It's the reason we can securely make payments online. It's the reason why your PayPal works. It's the reason why you can buy stuff using your credit cards. You see, when you look at a website, sometimes you'll see an SSL or you'll see HTTPS um, as a green bar on top of your search bar. So that is basically the certificate that tells you, okay, this website is secure. And the RSA is probably the most used software in all of history. 
the third equation we'll talk about today is really not an equation, but a set of like four equations known as the Maxwell equations. These are a set of equations that are concerned with the sending and receiving of electromagnetic signals. And I know you're wondering, how does my life, how does electromagnetic relate to my daily life? Well, let me just tell you, if you've experienced this, or you've maybe experienced this, or probably you've experienced this. Then you should call up Maxwell and say thank you. I mean, really, no, you should. Since he's dead, though, you might have to do a seance to do that. But, I mean, James Clerk Maxwell was a Scottish mathematical physicist who formulated the theory of um, electromagnetic radiation. That is, for the first time, he linked electricity and magnetism and light, giving you electromagnetic radiation. He demonstrated in 1865 that electric and magnetic fields traveled through a space of waves moving at the speed of light. And this guy is also credited for having made the first durable color photograph in 1861. I mean, talk about overachiever. I mean, really, though? He is regarded as the third greatest physicist of all time, only behind Newton and Einstein. Like I said, you might need to book a sense ASAP because this guy is kind of a big deal. These four equations are partial differential equations, which I won't explain what that is. You need to Google it. I avoided taking a mathematical minor because I needed to take a class in partial differential equations, so you can tell just how much I don't like talking about this subject. Anyway, the these four different equations link spatial, these are things relating to your location, and temporal, things relating to time, um, of they, they link the spatial and temporal changes of electronic and magnetic fields. That is the location and time of a wave, which is pretty mind-blowing if you can tell exactly where a wave is and what time it's is it, it's going to be there then i mean really that is amazing work and if you remember primary school mathematics if you have location you can get the distance and if you have distance and and time which is what we're getting from our waves what can you get kids huh huh you get speed Yes, speed. So we can measure the rates at which fields are moving. You can measure how fast a wave is moving. And by predicting that any change in an electric and magnetic force sends electromagnetic waves through mediums like the atmosphere, um, then you're, pretty doing, you're doing pretty cool stuff. So Maxwell's equations are what paved way for your cable TV, for your radio, for your iPhones, for your doorbells, heck, Everything depends on Mac Maxwell's equations, even your wireless networks, your wireless, your Bluetooth uh, headphones, if you're a douche. I'm sorry, but like this equation is a big deal.
feeling when you take out headphones from your bag and they're all tangled up and you really, really don't remember. Like when you put them in there, they were fine. But now they're all tangled up and it makes you start questioning your whole life and why the hell uh, Noah had to let cats onto the ark. Why Noah? Why? <sighs> well, you can blame the universe. I mean, really, this one is one of those things that you can go ahead and blame the universe for the state of your headphones. But like, whoa, slow down, bruh. This is just the not theory messing with you. And we don't need to get philosophical here. Yes. The knot theory is the study of mathematical knots. Yes, people do spend their time studying exactly how to tie your shoelaces. That is not what they do. I am lying. A mathematician's knot is not like your shoelace, but is a knot that has ends joined so that it can't be undone. And that is not something that you want your shoelaces to do. There are a couple of reasons why you should blame the universe, though, for your tangled headphones. First, you can blame the law of thermodynamics or entropy. So if you think about things, they usually tend from order towards disorder, which is basically the trend of life. When you were a kid, you probably had a lot of things figured out. You knew that you did not want to eat, so you were orderly. But like right now, you don't even know what the hell is going on. So things normally tend to go towards disorder from a point of orderliness. And your headphone strands are just basically doing that. You pack them carefully, and in doing that, you put it in a state of order. But, you know, things ended up turning towards disorder. The second and more complicated reason why you should blame the universe, though, is explained in a paper by University of San Diego physicist known as are physicists known as Douglas Smith and Dorian Raymer called spontaneous knotting of an agitated string. Yes, people do actually study strings for a living. Yes. So Smith and Raymer built a very simple experimental apparatus consisting of a clear plastic box and a motor. So they put one piece of string in the box at a time, and then they shook it, shook it around and around and around. Then they took it out and documented its final state, whether the string was knotted or unknotted. They did this. They did this three thousand four hundred and four fifteen times, varying the length of the string, the rotation speed of the motor, and the number of rotations the the string was put through, and the size of the clear box. So what they concluded was that with a minimum length of 18.24 inches and sufficient space for the string to shift around in a container, knots formed fairly quickly, most likely within the first two seconds. So what I did say is true. So think about your headphones and in the space in this case is your bag and how often your headphones might be jostled around when moved, from, when moved to and from their resting place in your bag. So you're basically shaking up your headphones and within two seconds, in all likelihood, the knot is formed immediately. You toss your headphones inside your bag. You could blame the universe, but really, it's your fault. So that is all I have for you today, guys. I trended the internet. I've been researching this story for like three months now. And I did have a set of like 10 equations 
but I, I thought that these were the most the ones that would like blow your mind the way they blew mine anyway you can check out all the all the sources for this story on the obscure stories podcast www.obscurestories.com we are on facebook at obscure stories podcast on twitter at obscure stories you can also find me on instagram on twitter at cheesy wiki you know i have mad love for you and i will see you next month so thank you and until then stay curious